Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. That was Ronald Reagan, and this is Freedom's Call. You're listening to Freedom's Call on Key Radio, 89.3 Lake of the Ozarks. And now, here's your host, Brett Sterling. Welcome back to Freedom's Call on Key Radio, 89.3 FM, Lake of the Ozarks. Before the break, we uh, were discussing Declaration of Independence and laying out the founding principles. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes, becomes destructive of those ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles, and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So let's take a look and see exactly these foundational principles that the rest of our government is based upon. If you go back to the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, it mentions the laws of nature and nature's God. Now this is a phrase that is repeated through a lot of our founding documents. And what that means is there are immutable laws of nature and nature's God that there's a fixed standard of right and wrong. Every human being knows it. Now, whether they choose to act in accordance with it is you know, up to reason or lack of reason, but these laws are immutable. The laws of nature, this means that this happens in every form of nature, every aspect of nature, both in the animal kingdom and also in the human kingdom as well. I'll give you a quick uh, rundown of what some of those laws are, those laws of nature. Okay, the first rule of nature uh, that we are going to discuss is self-defense. You shall not pass! If you've been around a, a, a mare when she's just given birth to, to a new colt, you know that if you go around and you get behind that horse, if you start you know, messing around with, with, that, uh, with her new colt, then she's going to retaliate. She's going to act uh, to protect her child. You might get a hoof print right in your forehead or one in, right, in your, right in your stomach. It's even a mouse, if you mess around with its young, you know, it's going to try to bite you. The parents are going to try to bite you. You know, it is, is a law of nature that the parents take care and protect their kids. That's self-defense is a natural right. It's naturally occurring in, in, in nature. Liberty is another one. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! There are no instances in the animal kingdom to where one species or one animal enslaves another animal. Now they can uh, work to their own mutual benefit, a symbiotic type type relationship, but there is there there are no uh, instances that you can find in the animal kingdom uh, here so far uh, to where one animal can enslave another. 
they were right to property. Slap that money on the barrel head and buy back the family farm. You ain't no kind of man if you ain't got land. Now, I'm a dog lover. If you're a dog lover, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get a new dog at home, you let them loose in the house, they start sniffing around. If you leave them in the house, they're going to probably go to the bathroom in a corner. If you let them out in the, say in the backyard, you know, they'll roam around the backyard and they'll kind of, they'll mark their territory. You know, they have a right to that property. It extends to humans that we have the right to possess property. So that's a, that is another uh, law of nature. Another accumulation and profit. Show me the money. Yes! Louder! Show me the money! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! This is a law of nature here as well. If you go and you look at a bear getting ready to hibernate for the for the winter time. They're going to store their food in in the in their cave before they go into hibernation. And there's not going to be another bear that's going to come and say, "Hey, you know what? You have you have way too much food." They might try to um, eat part of that stockpile of food or take some of those possessions. They might they might try to do that. But with this right to property and the right to self defense, that animal will defend their property. Then there's also uh, free association. I'm Jenny. Forest, forest, you can look at it on the internet. There's all these videos of cats getting along with dogs, and a pig will be out with the chickens, or a cow will be with the horses. Out in, out in nature, animals can hang with whatever they, whoever they want to. And so you see these, you know, what we would term uh, strange relationships and these strange friendships that develop all in the natural world. But that's their right to do that. They have freedom of association. You can start to see, you know, how how some of these principles and some of the, how, how these laws of nature have affected the, the formation of our government and some of the, uh, the the phraseology in the Constitution. So those are the laws of nature, and nature's God is that there's a fixed standard of right and wrong. Now, there's another thing that's really um, that's really key about this with with the acknowledgement of a Creator and nature's God. That is a, a, a requisite of having limited government. Remember, that's one of the things we talked about that was a, a principle, limited government and consent of the governed. And this was truly a revolutionary concept because in other countries, in the founder's time and in the time of the revolution, there was acknowledgement, pretty much universal acknowledgement of a, cre of a creator and, and of God. But the way that the, the power, the governing power filtered through society was that God ordained a monarch, a family, with these rights, these, this divine right. And then the king, the benevolent dictator, would then dole out these rights and determine which groups of people had what rights and would basically grant those at their, at their leisure, at their own discretion. And so you can really see that if you look at human beings from the perspective of being imperfect, flawed individuals, you can see how this can go really south really, really quick. And we're seeing that today, you know, throughout society, where some people will think that the government giving a quote-unquote right to someone is actually not an advancement and expansion of liberty. It's actually quite the opposite. But there are many in our society that will go and accept that, that say, no, this is fine. Yeah, I do have a right to health care. I do have a right to have health care and health care services whenever I want to. So then I don't have to worry about that infringing on the rights of, say, the medical community or of the doctor. I want medical services. It's my right. Rights can't be taken from me. So you have to service me. You have to serve me now. You have to give me what I want because this is my right. 
Well, that, in effect, is putting that medical professional in the medical community in involuntary servitude. It's a, it's, it is a form of slavery, actually, because you are compelling them to act a certain way whenever they should act at their choice. That's really a fallacy and something we'll be discussing here. You know, the, the government has really outgrown its, its traditional role. So you have that acknowledgement of the creator, and that's really the second, this, the second principle that uh, helps limit our government. Uh, third, talks about unalienable rights. An unalienable right, that's, those are rights that you have just by virtue of being born. And those rights do not come from man, and they cannot be regulated by man. And this is also the second step uh, toward having a limited government, because these rights are given to you. They're not up for a vote. You know, you talk about the laws of nature. You have the right to self-defense. Let's take a vote on that. No, you can't take a vote on that because this is the law of nature. It comes from nature's God. Man cannot vote whether you have the right to defend yourself or not. You have that right just by virtue of being born. Now, interestingly enough, this really goes to a broader statement about societies in general. And that is that these rights belong. They're given to every human being no matter when they're born, no matter where they're born. We are blessed that we have in our founding documents, in our Constitution, our, our supreme law of the land, that these rights are protected. Now, granted, obviously they are uh, infringed upon, but these rights also exist to somebody that's born in Zimbabwe, somebody that's born in Venezuela, somebody that's born in Cuba, somebody that's born in communist China. However, they're not free to exercise those rights because of government, and that really comes to, to element number four, founding principle number four, is that governments are formed to protect unalienable rights. You might go back and you think that, you know, the grievances in the Declaration of Independence list the rights the colonists had as British subjects until King George began taking them away. The colonists said, no, this the form of government that we're going to have here in, in America says that the rights that we have, the rights of self-defense, liberty, property, accumulation of profit, and freedom of association, those are laws of nature, nature's God. Another man, another person cannot take those away from us. They can't, they're not up for a vote. It's not, you know, majority rules in that. These are the, the supreme laws of nature, nature's God. So whenever King George III started to take freedom, the freedom of association, self-defense, removing liberty and violating personal property rights of the colonists, that's what gave rise to the revolution. That, this was the reason for the War of Independence, King George III violating these rights. The fifth principle is consent of the governed. That this was really a, a, a novel concept. And even coming forward 234 years hence, it still is the most modern form of government that we have. The prevailing theory of government was that the power resided within the crown, within some type of an agency, uh, an agency of government. And that agency of government then uh, doled out this power to the individuals in society. You know, so... We didn't think that way, um, and the framers, thankfully, did not think that way. They said, no, you know what, the governing authority resides with we the people. And to that end, the people will then delegate a portion of that authority, that governing authority, to their state and form a state government. And then the state government will then delegate a portion of that authority to the federal government, to the central government, to, to act in a, in, a, in a federal capacity. And that's really where the enumerated powers come into play and uh, the principles of federalism, which we will discuss here um, in the future as well. And finally, that brings us to the sixth uh, founding principle of our government, is that if government violates these principles, 
the principles of the laws of nature, nature's God, these other principles we discussed here, then it's the right of the people to change their government or start a completely new government. And this is really, this is the basis for Article 5 in the, in the Constitution. And Article 5 in the Constitution, as we'll see, um, as we'll discuss later, the federal government uh, has the ability to alter the Constitution uh, or the states can also propose these changes. Because understand, this is when really, you know, the Constitution was new. This was a, a, a brand new political philosophy, brand new governing document that had never been constructed before. They didn't really know, the, the framers didn't know whether they had given too much power to the federal government to where the people might have to act and the states might have to act and take some of that power away from the federal government. They also didn't know if maybe they did not give enough power to the federal government. And so then they wanted to provide a way to where the uh, where Congress, working in their federal capacity as a branch of the federal government, could then expand governing authority and add more governing authority to the, to the federal government. They knew that this didn't have everything that they wanted into it, and far from it. Uh, there, there were several things that were, that were not in the, in the Constitution. Prohibition of slavery was a, was a big one there. There was considerable pushback from Virginia, from South Carolina and Georgia in, in particular, and they basically said you know, there were iterations of the, of, the, of the Constitution that had clauses that, um, that did prohibit slavery. You had three states right there, Virginia, South Carolina, and Georgia, that said, you know, if that comes through to our states, we will not ratify it. Then you sit here and you look at it from the aspect that the New York delegation already fallen apart. The only member of the New York delegation uh, that remained there at the 1787 convention was Alexander Hamilton. Rhode Island didn't even send any delegates. Massachusetts was teetering on possibly not even ratifying the Constitution. So, I mean, there were other issues that became the Bill of Rights that the states wanted to, to discuss, but they said, look, we, if we put all this stuff in there, two things are going to happen. Number one, we're going to have a constitution that's not going to be ratified. Number two, that will leave us with a non-functioning form of government at a point in time whenever we're very, very vulnerable. You know, we've risen up against the, uh, against the British crown. We need to make sure that we have a government that can actually work. The British can come back over here and, and they, can, they can attack us as they did. And you know, we can lose this ground, this liberty that we have, have fought so hard for. They understood that this wasn't a perfect document, that it would have to be modified. The states can modify it. The federal government can modify it. And that there were also issues that um, were going to be laid on the table that were in direct violation of our founding principles, like slavery, that were going to have to be dealt with soon down the road. And in all actuality, that's exactly what happened about uh, eight years later. So. We're going to take a quick little break, and right after this message, we'll be back and we'll uh, wrap things up with our tour of the Constitution and what the Freedom's Call is all about. We'll be right back. This message from conventionsofstates.com will scare the heck out of the career politicians that need to go home and retire. Nine senators and congressmen have occupied their seats for over 40 years. But there is a remedy. The solution lies in the power of the people. According to Article 5 of the Constitution, the people possess the power to call a convention of states to amend the Constitution and limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and place term limits on federal officials. Basically, it's simple. 34 states are needed to call a convention, and 38 states are enough to ratify the amendments proposed. This convention of states is the last and most effective option left. 
It's the only way our voices can be heard. It's time we start screaming together. We need to secure our future and the future of our children. Join the movement. For more information, visit conventionofstates.com. You're listening to Freedom's Call on Key Radio, 89.3 Lake of the Ozarks. And now, here's your host, Brett Sterling. Welcome back to Freedom's Call on Key Radio 89.3 FM, Lake of the Ozarks. Well, just before the break, we went through the six principles that were laid out in the Declaration of Independence of why we were separating from England. We're going to study just a little bit briefly on how those relate and why it's so important to maintain those principles and make sure that whenever we're making laws, any type of decisions, public policy, court decisions, well, we keep this original intent in mind because if, if we do not, then we end up getting rulings like the federal government can force you to, to purchase a product or service or governments can force you, you know, local or state governments, maybe even federal governments can force you to get vaccinated. It can force you to, to mask up, can force you to not have more than 10 people at your Christmas dinner at your home. So it's because we have strayed from these principles, types of policies are both not only on the table, but in wide swaths of society actually accepted, which is, uh, which is very dangerous. George Mason, a great comment on why these principles were so important. And, he, and George Mason said that no free government or the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people but by a frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. George Mason understood, look, we just can't write this stuff down on paper and publish it, sign it, and just walk out of Independence Hall, you know, patting ourselves on the back and say, hey, wow, we were really smart. We have this, this, this great document. Here you go, people. Here it is. Remember that whenever Benjamin Franklin walked out of Independence Hall, approached him on the street and said, well, Mr. Franklin, what type of government have you given us? And he said, well, a republic, if you can keep it. George Mason understood that, too. The, reason, the way that you keep a republic is that you have a frequent recurrence of fundamental principles. Let's uh, take a look at an example in um, more modern-day America. You look just uh, probably about a month and a half ago, maybe almost two months now, the Major League Baseball recently had, had their All-Star game. You know, these were the cream of the crop, the very, very best players. They were selected to go to this game. Well, how are these All-Stars selected? I mean, were these All-Stars selected because they, they invented some kind of new skill? Were they selected because of the way that they look or outside endorsements or anything, any kind of off-the-field activities? Well, no. They were chosen because they throw, they catch, they hit, and run better than any other players at their position. Those are the fundamentals of baseball. Throwing, catching, hitting, and running. Whether it's a high school baseball team, Legion ball, Little League farm club, major leagues, whenever they're practicing, they're doing drills. These are the fundamentals that they're working on. That's what these drills are designed to do, to make sure that they execute the fundamentals as good as they possibly can. And whomever executes these fundamentals the best are the best players in the game. And this, this is true in every sport. You look at any sport that has an all-star game, whatever, there's a fundamental set of skills and that they do these drills in practice all the time to make sure that they're doing these drills better than any other players in the game. This is no different for government. So enough with the baseball analogy. Let's look at some current examples of federal government overreach in our society today. First of all, 
First, federally mandated spending consumes an average of 60 to 65 percent of a state's budget. Missouri is no different. Now imagine that you're going to go to your job and you're responsible for 100 percent of your results, 100 percent of your responsibilities, but you're only given 35 or 40 percent of the resources to actually uh, to actually perform your job, to actually carry out and fulfill those responsibilities. That doesn't sound like a very good deal to me, yet that's exactly what we're asking our, our, our state legislators to, to operate under those conditions. Now, these mandates come from several different sources. Some might come from, a, from, a, a directly, from directly mandated spending for uh, programs like Medicaid. It could also be compelled spending to be eligible for federal matching funds. Our highway and infrastructure spending is a good example of this. Education is another area in the news here recently with critical race theory, uh, discussions and uh, whether, whether students, teachers, and staff will have to wear masks for in-person classes coming up in just a couple weeks. Uh, so that's a, that's a hot button issue as well. Interestingly enough, Thomas Jefferson was asked what role the federal government was, had in education and what authority they had under the Constitution. And he said none unless there was a constitutional amendment permitting it. I looked in the Constitution again and there is no amendment permitting the federal government to be involved in education. Yet, there they are. There's also a discussion about mandatory vaccine requirements and possibly vaccine passports being issued to individuals. Now, I seem to remember in the immigration debate uh, during the Trump administration that it was racist for somebody to, to ask somebody to show their ID. You know, show me your papers was the ominous phrase. It sounds like now with vaccine passports, maybe that's out the window. Maybe the rules are different now. I don't think they're different under the Constitution. So these are just a few examples of federal government overreach, and the states have limited, practical, effective, and constitutional ways to push back against these actions. But yet, this is exactly why the Convention of States process is in the Constitution and why the framers of the Constitution in the 1787 Convention adopted this provision unanimously and without debate. Government has to rely on these fundamental principles and have a frequent recurrence back to these fundamental principles, acknowledging the laws of nature, nature's God, acknowledgement of a creator, that government, that man is not at the top of the food chain, that there is a limitation to federal government. That's why France will never have a limited government. England will never have a limited government. South Korea will not. Cuba will not. They all have this commonality, this, this common trait. Individuals have unalienable rights. These are not up to man to vote upon. These are immutable rights that come from the Creator. The governments are formed to protect these unalienable rights. Governing authority resides with the people under the, by the consent of the governed. And if government violates these, these principles, then people can change the government. So it's a frequent recurrence back to these principles. And whenever government strays away from the Constitution, strays away from these principles, that's when we get bad results and that's when we get bad policies. That's when we get negative consequences. It's exactly why we are where we are right now. We'll leave this off. We're almost out of time here for today. So I want to leave with a little bit of a challenge. I would challenge you to go back, read the Constitution, and read the Declaration of Independence. It's a pretty short read. Uh, you, can, you can read both of them very, very easily. And when you're reading through the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution, look to see how those grievances are remedied in the Constitution. Take a look at those links. 
see the commonality of how these different issues are, were, were addressed. It's, it's incumbent upon each of us to understand exactly what our rights are to where then we understand when they're being violated, we understand what the proper role of government is, and if government does happen to violate our rights, then we know what the recourse is, we know what we can do, we understand that, we can take action and be self-governing citizens. So we'll dive into the Framer's Solution to check the power of power of the federal government here next week. And hopefully for this provides you with the perspective of, of this show and, and our frame of reference as we move forward. I just challenge you to just do something every day to, to advance liberty. We hope we'll see you here next week on Freedom's Call on Key Radio 89.3 FM, Lake of the Ozarks. been listening to Freedom's Call with your host, Brett Sterley. If you'd like to interact with the show, send us an email to freedomscall89.3 at gmail.com. That's F-R-E-E-D-O-M-S-C-A-L-L 89 period 3 at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about the Convention of States movement and how you can join our fight to restore the Constitution and preserve democracy, visit conventionofstates.com. Join us again next week at this same time for Freedom's Call.